Oh, what a blessing to have communion together and just to share in the life that God has given us. Glory to God. Thank you so much again for slotting in. I trust that this service is just going to be a great blessing to you. Today I'm going to talk about eternal life. And we're going to talk about what the cross means, what the death of Jesus Christ means, and what uh, the resurrection means. As uh, Christians, we know that Easter is not about um, just uh, some rabbit, you know, Easter bunny or something like that. It is about Jesus and what he's come to do for us. And I would say as much as what <laughs> uh, Easter bunny would be a great deception about what Easter is actually about, um, or the Passover is actually about, in the very same way, um, we have been deceived about what actually happened upon the cross. And we saw the cross as a place where the wrath of God came and was poured out upon people and where the anger of God was upon a man and where the anger of God was upon a man and where there was this uh, penal substitution system wherein God, uh, wherein Jesus had to take the penalty for our sin from the Father, wherein the Father was actually um, beating uh, Jesus or punishing Jesus with what is just which is death now you know um, if Jesus if we believe in the penal substitution system and this just came to my mind and we believe that Jesus uh, took the death of all people as a punishment a penal substitution punishment for us then you have to conclude that you're a universalist you have to come to universalism um, uh, uh, conclusion because you'll have to say well then everybody is saved because if God can still punish a person for uh, a sin that Jesus has already taken, he is unjust. So, and if you then preach that people can be lost, then you have to conclude that God is an unjust God. Um, so, uh, you know, the penal substitution system is just something that was fabricated by man. It's man's attempt to try and understand what God has done for us in Jesus and try and put the grace message inside law brackets. We have to be born again. We have to come to a place where we are not born from the law, where we're not trying to interpret the message of grace by the law or any of the world systems. We have to come and see the death of that uh, and come to a place where we say, Father, I, I, I climb out of this whole bracket thing of legalism and law and all of that, and I come to a place where you teach me, where you show me well glory to god like like i said today we are going to be talking about eternal life now uh one of the verses that i would like to read as pertaining to this uh, to eternal life and this is i think one of my favorite verses when it comes to eternal life is found in titus titus 1 and verse 2. now titus 1 verse 1 paul comes and he says that he is an apostle and that he has come to teach the gospel or teach people uh, about Jesus and basically win souls, if you want to call it like that. He's an apostle. And then he says in verse 2, he, um, he says, In the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So here we see that there was a promise before the world system ever came into existence. Uh, and if you want to go even further, if you want to say before the world began, you want to read into that before creation, we can conclude that God in His being, the fact that He, he is a loving, caring God in His person is promising. Uh, and He is promising us that eternal life. Now the way I read that is that the beginning of the world talks about the world system when Adam sinned, before that began even. 
Before Adam even sinned, God promised Adam eternal life. Now, if you, we don't want to split hairs about that, so you can say even before the world began, before time, uh, it doesn't matter. But that's what I see in that passage. But what, what it, it talks about is that God promised man eternal life. God promised man eternal life. It was all about uh, uh, giving man an opportunity to live forever and never die. Now, um, one of the greatest lies ever told to the church was that man cannot die and that man is inherently immortal. That is one of the greatest lies that's ever been told to the, to the church and, uh, or to people. Satan started with it and it's even like that today. It, um, now, in, in the weeks to come and in the year to come, I'm going to talk more about that and I'm going to take it verse by verse. I'm going to take it slowly and I'm going to explain to you guys what this is about. I'm not here in my live webcast to try and shock the world. I'm here to uh, shepherd people. Um, this is what this is about, teaching people something that can bring life to their hearts. This is what it's all about. So now that's going to take some time and we're going to go through this slowly. But I want you to know that God has promised man eternal life from before, even before the world began. He promised us eternal life. Now, the whole message of the cross revolves around that promise. That's why Jesus had to die and that's why he had to be raised and that's why he had to be raised to never die again. Uh, can you see that the whole thing is not about um, anything but getting us to a place of eternal life. What we have made the gospel out to be is that there is a God with a divine law. And then this divine law will either bless you or curse you. And then God made people. And then bef uh, when he made people, he first created a heaven and a hell. And then his promise was, if you obey me, I'll take you to heaven. Now, that is not what the scripture says. The scripture does not say, if you obey me, I'll take you to heaven. The scripture says that God has promised us eternal life. And the gift that he has given us is eternal life. What we need to understand is that the, the, the people in the Old Testament and even the, 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 the time between the Testaments, if you would like to call it the time when Jesus walked upon the earth, and after that, what they were looking for is eternal life, immortality. They wanted to find the pathway unto singing that song forever young. That is what they were thinking. They weren't thinking, what can I go do to go to heaven? If you, even if you find the rich young ruler come to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, what shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, our mind immediately say, go to heaven. But that was not what was in that guy's mind. If he wanted to know what he had to do in order to go to heaven, he's not going to use two words called, the one is eternal and the other one is life. He's not, he, he will say heaven. He will not say eternal life. So we have just simply come to a place where we don't see what the scripture says. And the Bible says clearly that the law blinds us. The law blinds us. The, the, the law system and lies believed blind you to the truth and that is some that is because of uh, just how a human being works we have been created and designed to see what we believe 
Because if you can see what you believe and believe the correct thing, it will be very difficult for you to ever be caught, caught in the trap of a lie or something like that. And we have been designed to protect ourselves. We have been designed to be in a place where once our heart is persuaded of something, not to easily change, but to be at a place where we need some convincing before we change. So um, if, if we are in a place where we have, we've been convinced that the only thing that we can have is, and this is God's eternal promise, is go to heaven. Then whenever we see the word eternal life, or the word immortality, um, or the word life, we're going to just substitute that with the word heaven. Um, and you might say, but doesn't heaven mean eternal life? Well, why do we even want to go there? The scripture talks about eternal life. And this is the promise that was before the world began. You know, there are so many scriptures in the Bible, and, and I'm, I can just touch on some of them. It says here, And behold, one came unto him, say, Good master, what good thing shall we do that we may have eternal life? See, they, would, they wanted eternal life. It says here in Matthew 25, verse 46, But the righteous into life eternal. That's where they will go. If we go to, um, I want to go to Romans. It says here in Romans 2 verse 7, it says, To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, they'll be granted eternal life. So it says here that those that seek glory, honor, and immortality, to them will be given eternal life. And if you seek glory, honor, and immortality through obedience to Christ, which is simply to believe and rely upon Him, that He can give it to you, what will be granted to you is uh, eternal life. So what the people, what Paul was saying here is, those that seek glory and honor, they want the glorification, they want the honor that is supposed to come to them in Christ and what Christ has given them, and they are seeking for immortality. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for a state wherein they don't have just the bliss of going to heaven, but immortality is defined as when this, what we would call this mortal body, goes into a state when it doesn't die. Now you might say, Bertie, why do you even want to preach about this? Very simple. The reason for that is a major, big reason. There was a man, his name is Jesus. He came to the earth in a physical body. He then died and was raised up in a physical body to never die into immortality. And what he stood up into is what we seek. Or now, in any case, supposed to seek. I believe the enemy has come and brought us to a place where immortality doesn't even mean anything to us. All we have is just the bliss of going to heaven, making little of the resurrection of Christ. You know how many, um, how if we, our gospel is, is actually, which is preached in general and in the circles that I've moved in, it's just half a gospel. It's a gospel where my sin was taken. It's a gospel where my sickness was carried and Jesus died. And because Jesus died for me, therefore I can have eternal life. No, let me tell you something. If Jesus was not raised, you would have still been in your sin. And those that has died would have perished. That's what the Bible says. They would have gone into nothingness. That, that's what the Bible talks about. They would have completely perished. They would have been in eternal uh, um, lake of fire, if you want to call it like that. They would be completely, utterly destroyed. They would have perished. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 50. So there's a great emphasis uh, in the teachings of the apostle as pertaining to 
or, or on the resurrection. So Jesus could carry the sin of all the world. He could do all of those things. And you know what that would mean if Jesus became sin and died for you? You know, if he became sin and died for you, what that means if he you, if you wasn't raised? You know what it means? Nothing. It just means nothing. Because the end goal wasn't for, you, for Jesus to carry your sin. The end goal was to get you at a place where you can be raised from the grave and have a glorified body. And so have that eternal life inside you so that you in, in eternity of time can know God and uh, have spend time with Him. That is what it is all about. Now, this is what God had in mind from before time or before the world began. He came and he said, this is my promise to you, I will give you eternal life. Now, I want to explain to you what happened in the creation story. And I want you to walk with me through this whole thing. Before anything was created, there was a God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And uh, th this God possesses eternal life. Before angels were created, before um, before angels fell, before the devil, or if you want to call him Lucifer, one to, was created or any of that, there was a God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or a family God, if you want to call it like that, which has been the only being that possesses immortality, which is the only self-existing one that can never die. He has been the only being like that. And anything that was created after that it, uh, um, comes out of the temple. In other words, God would make something, it would come forth, and it would have a beginning. So just by the fact that it has a beginning means that it is not in equality with God. It doesn't possess all the qualities that God has. And what God did was, He created a heaven and an earth, and then He went to the earth, and He took some of the dust of the earth, and when he took the dust of the earth, he blew the breath of life into that dust, and he made that dust alive. When he made the dust alive, he gave the dust a mind, a will, emotions. Uh, the dust actually became what we call today a living soul. The best translation for soul would be a person. A person. A living soul would be a person. So what God did was he took dust and made out of the dust a person. And then he put his life before this person. He said, you know, the life that is from you, that has come, you are made from the dust of the earth. That's what you're made from. And inside this dust, that's what you were formed from. You were formed out of the dust of the earth. And I gave this dust life. So the life you have is borrowed from me. But if you want this life to be preserved eternally, Simply believe in me. Have a relationship with me. For from me, this life will flow. You know, God made Adam, and when he made Adam, he gave Adam access to the tree of life. So Adam could, in this perfect state that he was in, if you want to call it like that, and what I would call perfect innocence, and that's what my book, Born from Innocence, is all about, in that state of perfect innocence, uh, uh, he could go just like that in that innocence and go and eat of the tree of life and then who he is and what he is would be preserved eternally. Meaning that the only immortal being that lives in an unapproachable light 
would then share his immortality and that unapproachable life with this being. And they will fellowship then as these equals on account of this being that has said, I want my life to be preserved by you. Th that is it. But then uh, the next thing that then happened was Satan came to Adam and he said to Adam and Eve, listen, I've got news for you. Um, you know, you will not die. What is this thing about die? <laughs> you know, you are immortal beings. You know, you will not die. There's no way you can die. And what happened in that lie is two things. Number one, they believe that God is not true. And that God, for some reason, they, they couldn't trust God anymore. That's the first thing. And the second thing, they thought, well, if I am alive and I possess this eternal life anyway, I don't have to go and eat of the tree of life. I cannot die. So what I will do is, I don't have to cling to this God, or be in fellowship with this God, or be a subject, if you want to call it like that, of this God, wherein His immortality is given to me. No, I can produce my own by my own works. And what God said to Adam is, the day you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you believe Satan, you're going to die of him. Of this death you will die. You will die on account of the things that you believe in. Yet, God promised Adam eternal life. And God said, even if Adam entered into death, I still promise him. I keep my promise. That's what he says. So, the next thing that took place was, God said, well, we're not going to allow man to live in a place wherein he is flooded with wickedness, which would be the belief of Satan, where he is flooded with an ability to bear the fruit of the, of the flesh, where he is born from the wisdom of the devil, and grant that man immortality. So what God said is, He said, I promise you immortality, but if I promise you immortality, it must be in the state of innocence. It must be in the state of sinlessness. It must be in the state of a new creation, where God came and out of the dust He formed and He created a man and made him alive. It has to be in that state, because God cannot see that we would... Um, that we would live in a place of this misery of always having a love for money, bitterness towards people, hatred, just the way the things in the world go, uh, beating, murdering each other, uh, stealing one another's children, wives, human trafficking, uh, drug dealing, sexual immorality, and all of those kind of things, and say, say to a person in that state, I grant you, remember, God is the only one with immortality. And say to that person, listen, I grant you immortality in that state. I grant it to you. It would be the most unloving thing to do. And God said, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do it like that. I will rather allow you to walk in this way that you are and then come to a place where you die. And I will rather manufacture a plan wherein you can be raised again. Um, and as pertaining to us that are on the earth, you know, um, in the time of Christ and onwards, wherein we can declare and we can actually see our innocence. So what God said is, as long as what man is flooded with iniquity, 
and a slave of iniquity, I cannot give him eternal life. But what I'll do is, I will make him innocent again, as Adam was. And what God did was, in Christ, and this is what I see, the death part, He comes and He takes the sin of all the world. He takes everything upon Him. And then He went and He even took death upon Him and died. And then He rose again to declare the innocence of God. In the very same innocence that's possessed by, um, by God. You know, if, if a person has died and he is then born from that dead, talking about the recreation, I'm not, not talking about John 3 born again, but if he's recreated, he can be innocent. Even to the, in, in the sense of the word of that he hasn't even done anything. Because uh, the old man has died. In Christ. And if one died, then all are dead. Jew, Jews dead, Gentile, they died. That whole system has passed away. And then when Christ was raised, what happened? A new man came forth. What is this new man? It's an innocent, blameless person. Who, who Innocent and blameless on this, in this sense that he is not under the control or enslaved anymore to the satanic system of works righteousness. That's it. And now, this person can have access to eternal life should he believe upon the Lord. And we're going to explain all of that. Now, God was, when God made a living soul, which, which is us, a person, this is how a person works. In order for a person to uh, and this is the unique thing about a person, is when he believes something, and let's say in this case, which is true, when he believes something which is true, then that thing which he believes enters him. Now, you know, when you study out a living soul, that word soul also means a heart. A heart is the belief system. It's actually a belief system that is alive and can manifest. So God made a person a being that can manifest life from his belief. That is, if you want to go deep into what a living soul is. So, and then he says, this being that functions from persuasion, uh, a heart that, that, that is alive, that can find persuasion and manifest this persuasion in him, I will have to persuade him of who I am, and then as he is persuaded of who I am, he enters into eternal life. That is what it is all about. Now you might say, why would God create such a complicated being? You know, what about this persuasion thing and all of that? Why all of that? Because God is like that. That is who God is. And if you want a person to have immortality as something inside him, he needs to be a being wherein God can dwell. And God cannot dwell in, in something that's mindless. He cannot dwell in something that doesn't have a heart to believe. He cannot indwell a, a, a being that cannot perceive and see and understand and hear and all of those kind of things. He has to have a being that he can come and dwell in and so grant eternal life. Where will, if God comes and he dwells inside a being that cannot think, where will God think? If God comes and dwells inside a being that cannot feel, how will he feel? God created us beings having the ability 
to think, having the ability to feel, having the ability to reason and all those kind of things to come and indwell us with his reason, to come and indwell us with his persuasion, which he already had and possesses, and indwell us. And as that dwells in us, that truth, that spirit of truth will then cause this body and this being, because we have been made a living soul, the, uh, having the ability to manifest what is inside us. And so we will spring forth into immortality. That is what God made. So, what God had to do, He sat with this big problem after the fall, is He had to persuade man to believe in Him again. He had to persuade man to come into His presence the way Adam came into His presence before the fall. But God sat with this problem that whenever he approaches man, then man got scared. And he would fall to the ground or he would run away or hide himself or immediately say, I'm a man of unclean lips or, you know, he, he would confess and, and it, it would not be a natural situation. So God had to come and persuade man of who man is and what his plan is with man to the point that if man could hear this persuasion that when he's confronted with God, that he will stand boldly, not afraid, not scared. And from that platform, God can then persuade a person's heart to have the same faith as what God has. And as we have that, we will find we are made immortal by the indwelling of God in us. That is, <laughs> oh my goodness, I want to tell you church, if you, can, if, if you take that player and you just rewind it right now and listen to that again, I just feel the presence of God, the, the, the Holy Spirit, I can experience Him on me right now. I can experience the wisdom of God in my heart and in my mind and in my mouth as I share these things with you. I want to tell you we are dealing with holy things. We are dealing with things that are born out of God, that is so powerful that it can cause a human to, even if he has died, to be raised from the dead. Now, God sat with this thing, is how am I going to persuade man? How am I going to get man to a place where he can, if I call for him, if I say, Adam, that he will not hid himself, but that he will come boldly and say, yes, God, here I am, with a boldness, and then have that God influence him and love on him to the point that this immortality manifests in him. How will he get that right? We find that in the Old Testament, God spoke to people, but um, in many different ways. Yet, none of them could see who God was. None of them could perceive who God really is. Some of them got a little bit of a glimpse here and a glimpse there, and, and you would find he's, he's, he's got a... Uh, we can go and look at the lives of David, and we can go and look at Elijah, we can go and look at Jeremiah, we can go and look at Enoch and uh, people in the old, and we can look at them and we can see they did understand something. Yet, if Jesus had to conclude what they actually understood about him in, in line with what he planned for man, John 10 is true, where Jesus said, everyone that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Not that God, you know, Jesus said some things that sounded very horrible. 
he would go and say, everybody that ever came before me are thieves and robbers and they could not lead the sheep out. They were climbing over the wall, they are thieves, and the thief hasn't come but to steal, kill, and destroy. So these people are thieves and the master thief <laughs> has only come to steal, kill, and destroy. And what they try to do cannot lead you into eternal life. That's what he was saying. And Jesus said something amazing. He, he went to Peter. Peter came and said to him, Jesus, you will not die upon the cross. You, you will not die. And then he said, I rebuke you, Satan. So here is one of Jesus' apostles, one he loves, one that he cares for. And he says, I rebuke you, Satan. Why? Because what Peter was saying there was born from the system of the devil. In the same way, if we want to behold the fullness of God by just reading the Old Testament and not seeing the new, it's going to rob us. It's going to steal from us. And we will not be able to see what God has in store for us. And we will not be able to find that immortality that, is, that, that God talks about and that He has planned for us. Now, when, we, when God comes and He says that, He says that everybody that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. When John comes in John 1.18 and He says, no one has ever seen the Father, but the Son has declared Him. What He's actually trying to communicate is the following. That in the old, although God tried to say it, people could not perceive who God really is. And the true message of immortality and how it will take place could not be understood by anybody. And then God said, well, if I speak, if I call them and I say to them, come onto the mountain, let me speak to you, then they run. If I, if I appear, then they say, if I, if I want to be their God, then they say, give me a king. They're always running away. There's a shame inside them. And I need to take that shame away and portray my original message and who I am to them. You must remember the people of the old believed uh, horrible things about God. Uh, sadly, I mean, this, this afternoon I was setting up the, the meeting, uh, the, the, the broadcaster, and as you do it on YouTube, a video popped up. And as this video popped up, I saw it's a prophecy about America on how God calls America a whore, the worst things, and how God is going to destroy America. <laughs> what a thing to say about God. To make Him out as a murderer, a destroyer, um, you know, and all those kind of things. Now, if there are people today living like that, how much more that people live like that in the old? They were just thinking God is this God that one day He just wipes out everything, the next day He blesses. You know, that's how it, one day He's merciful, the next day He's not. Because the one day He'll show mercy to a nation, the next day if they pick up sticks, He kills them. Uh, it, it was a confusion and God had to come and break through that confusion and speak in a language that is so powerful that when it confronts the human heart, that the human will say, well, then I don't have to be afraid. Then I'm innocent. I've been perfected. I can speak to God. I can face God. Th that's actually what it is all about. My goodness, this God is for me. So God had to break through all of that darkness and bring forth the light. Now, this was what God wanted to do. If we go and read... Let me just see if I can find this, this, uh, that verse. 
1 John 5.11 it says, And this is the record that God has given us to eternal life. And this life is in His Son. So God has given us a record unto eternal life. What is this record, or what is this word, unto eternal life? How does God, what does God say? What is He communicating? This is what God communicates. And if you take this with, uh, home with you today, um, it will really bless me. This is what it says, what God says. He says, I will incarnate a being that is, I, I, will, I, I will be born on this earth innocent without sin. And then I will take the sin of all people upon me. And I will take not just the sin of all people, I will take death itself on me. And God says, if I can take a person like that, that's inside all of the sin of all people, and inside the death of all people, and promise him eternal life, that I will raise him up on the third day. And if I would raise him and then declare to the people that the sins that was upon this man was their sins and declare to the people that the death that was upon this man was their death since he was innocent and perfect and had none of his own sin, then these people can see what I'm talking about. They can see that it is not by your works and they can see that their sins and the death they are experiencing is not more powerful than my promise. And they can conclude and say, well, if God could raise Jesus out of my sin and the death that was on him, the, the, the sin that was on him, the life that was on him was my life, for he laid down his life, and he became, he, he, he became sin. He became what we were. The Bible says we were darkness. He became that darkness. And then he died. Then the people would be able to understand and comprehend that their life of sin and death has died. And then if I can raise him from the dead into immortality, then they can boldly say, but the only life I possess is this resurrection life, which belongs to me. Therefore, immortality is mine by the promise of God. That is what God was doing. He was trying to communicate a word to us. He, and in communicating that word, He was taking our sin away out of our minds and out of our belief. Because sin was flooded, flooded our minds. Death flooded our minds. And we were in a place where we could not uh, come close to God. The only way we could have want to come close to eternal life is by doing good works and trying to live as long as what we can on this earth. You know, if we want, and I've said it before, if you want what God has promised by your good works, this is what you will have to do. You will have to love your neighbor, be kind, be merciful, be good, to the point that your physical body becomes younger. Because the promise is that we will have immortality. That is the promise. That is the promise. And please hear, I'm not saying we're not going to heaven, um, you know, or anything like that. I'm not trying to, to hit on that. I'm just trying to focus on what the Bible has said and what the Apostle Paul has preached and what Jesus tried to portray in the cross, in the death and in the resurrection. This is Easter. 
We are thinking of the death and the resurrection of Christ. We want to know, why did he have to die? What does this death talk about? What, what is this death all about? This death is all about showing us that a man with all sin that can take all death upon him without trying to move a finger to save his own life and preserve his own life when the devil said to him when he was upon the cross through the guy that was hanging next to him saying to him, well, if you are a child of God, you know, take yourself uh, off the cross. Save your own life. Where he says, no, even if death is upon me, even if all sin is upon me, even if I became sin, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm not going to try and save my life because my reliance is fully in my Abba that has promised me that he will raise me on the third day. And then he said, well, death, bring it on. And he gave his life, um, he, 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 he gave up the ghost, he died. And he died as a man that carried the sin of all people beating him and carried the sin of all. And when he died, the promise was not stronger, uh, the promise was stronger than all of the sin of all the world and all of the death of all the world. And what God was trying to say, the record we have in Christ is that we can simply trust our Abba to give us immortality. We can come boldly. And when Jesus was raised, we could see, my sin has died, my death has died, I'm innocent again, I can come boldly to the throne of grace. We are the people of God. And as we come close to the throne of grace and believe upon this truth, we behold Jesus Christ who is our life. The Bible says, keep your eyes above, uh, look up. It says, to Jesus Christ who is your life. So what happened is, when Jesus took my sin upon him, his life, he took his, his innocent life, laid it down, and it became my life. Then he died that old life of mine away. And he believed the Father on my behalf. And he was raised up. And now I can behold my life. A glorified immortal human. We can see the promise that the Father has that He can give me eternal life fulfilled. The only problem, if you want to call it a problem, is that the only way we can have that life, since we are individuals, is that we need to have our hearts persuaded. And now God came with a crystal clear word where He declares the innocence of man and the immortality inside our life to us in the resurrection and when we see that we say we have the blessed hope of the resurrection and as i said last sunday the side effects of believing in this life which is called the spirit the spirit of life jesus called the spirit of life or, or, or the holy spirit is called the spirit of life the bible says that the, jesus was raised by the holy spirit when this spirit of our forgiveness when the spirit of our immortality when the spirit of resurrection and the belief about being raised from the dead and having our physical bodies glorified you know what's going to happen the side effects of that is love peace joy it will have an effect on your body it will have an effect on your flesh the first effect it has on the flesh is that the fruit of the flesh stops to manifest in you then we also find the gifts of this spirit of life manifest in our flesh. We lay hands on the sick, we prophesy, we start to know things we could not know by our natural mind. 
we can all of a sudden speak a language we've never been taught. It talks about the glorification of the body. Now what the devil wants us to do is to take our focus off the glorification of the body, take our focus off this immortality, and just say, well, glory to God, Jesus took my sins, and well, as long as what he died for me, I'm happy, and I'm just heading to heaven. That is not God's plan. God's plan is to take, he showed his plan. His plan was to take a physical man that has got all sin upon him, persuade him that God is his father. If this physical man, even with all sin upon him, can only rely upon the father, what will the father then do? Since the spirit of life, this promise of life has entered him, since we are living souls, as I explained, since our hearts are persuaded, we are, we are a live belief system, or a belief system that can bring forth life. When that entered our hearts, what happens when we hear the word of God promised me life? Life has now entered me. Because my belief is now flooded with the revelation of life. And that life, what does it do? It animates, it makes alive whatever was dead. And death was in our members and brought forth all forms of sin and all those kind of things. And now Paul comes and he says, my goodness, you know, this life enters me and what do I see? I see I'm a free man now. Since I have been married to Christ, I'm married to immortality in my belief. I'm not married to the law to gain immortality or to the law to gain heaven or anything like that. I'm married to eternal life in Christ. Glory to God. And you start to see the fruit of that. And I, I tell you, church, as we start to look into these things, we will start to find the great, great power manifest in us. And, and, and I see in the, in the gray circles, uh, different circles, doesn't matter. You know, we find, in the gray circles, I find more of a sincerity, more of an openness of heart, people just saying, this is who I am, uh, 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 not scared, you know, not afraid of God, and you find a kind of, a, you know, that holiness there. Yet in some other circles we find science, wonders, miracles and those kind of things. But, you know, people will lie about wonders and signs and they will lie about this and lie about that. And there's not the purity there. And what I see in the Grace Church uh, in the earth is that we're not moving in those powerful things as, as what it can happen. But I think it is simply because of, and God is not threatened, He's sorting everything out. He's bringing us to a place where we can believe upon the truth, where the truth can manifest in us. You know, the last thing I want is to go back to a place where I pray for the sick and find my identity in how many people get healed. That's sickening. I haven't been healed. Now I get healed from that, and as I get healed from that, we can find the power of the Lord, you know, start to manifest in us, and we, things can happen for true reasons and not because of the will of the flesh or something like that. So what I want to bring to you today is... Christ has come to heal your flesh. Let us think of ourselves, although we have a spirit, we have a soul, we have a body, all those kind of things, let us not think of ourselves in compartments. I am a spirit, I have a soul, I live in a body. Because the moment you do that, you are in the middle of Gnosticism, which John addressed in 1 John. Where you say, oh well, my spirit is okay, so what happens in my body doesn't matter. No, no, it's not about, is your spirit okay, what happens in your body, is your mind being saved, or any of those kind of things. The message that God has, this is the salvation message, that Jesus 
took became sin. And when he was raised, he was made new completely. He was the person was saved. In its completion. And that is what God has for us. That is what God has for us. And you might say, Bertie, you know, um, preaching about these things, how does it make my life better or anything like that? Well, this is what the scripture says. And this is the truth. And this is what God has come to bring us. And let us see, as we believe this, what it brings forth in our lives. So here, let me end off. Here is God, and He says, I make a man, and I'm just wrapping up. Here is God, He says, I take a man, I make a person out of dust. He comes from the temporal. I make him alive, innocent, sinless. Sin is not even an issue. It's not even part of him. He's made from God right there. God comes to this man and promises him eternal life. There's a tree of life. This man comes and believes a lie. The lie was twofold. You cannot trust God and you cannot die. That was what he believed. When he believed that lie, he entered into a place where he was afraid of God. God then came and says, let me speak a language that can persuade his heart to believe that he, that my promise of eternal life is his. Because if my promise of life can enter him, that is also called the spirit of life, or the spirit of promise, when that enters him, what will take place? Then his heart will be ignited with his life. This is what the Bible says, I'll give you of the living water. In other words, I'll give you the message of life. The water is a word. It is a message. A word is also a spirit. The Bible says the word is the spirit, or the spirit is the word. So when the message of life, that we can have this immortality on the doing of God, enters our lives by us believing, that's how it enters, is a persuaded heart. And as it enters your heart, what happens then? What does God say then? Then this water of life will spring up into eternal life. Now, we have taken that springing up, the life that enters us, springing up fountains of life flowing out of us as praying in tongues. That's not what God said. Jesus said, this water that enters you will spring up into you, this living water, and it will spring up into eternal life. And if you possess eternal life, that means the life that cannot end is inside your body, and since it lives inside this body, then this body will have the same attributes as that life, and that is you'll be immortal. That is what it is all about. That is the plan of God. That's the plan of God. You know, when we, when we look at this, we have to come to the place where we say, Lord, teach us this. This might sound new. It might sound strange. It might sound a bit eerie. You know, what is this really about? Is this true? Is this not true? Let me tell you something. This is the truth. I've looked at this for a long time. And don't trust me for it. Go and read the scripture. Let the scripture speak for itself. Don't take words like eternal life and death and put other words in there. When it says death, let it mean death. If it says eternal life, let it mean eternal life. If it says immortal, let it mean immortal. I mean, why do we have words if we have different meanings all the time assigning to it, assigned to it? Let's just read it. So God comes and he says, I need to take this man I need, to, I need to persuade him. And, and, and in my recap, I'm recapping again. Please excuse me for that. 
<laughs> this is just, <laughs> my heart's just flooded with this message. So, as, as God makes a man, this man believes a lie. As he believes this lie enters a place of misery, God says, I have promised you eternal life, and I'm not breaking my promise. All that will happen is, I am not willing to see you living in this torture, in this misery of having a life full of bitterness, hatred, resentment, and all of that, and not having the ability to die. So what, I, what I'll do is, I, pro I promise you, and I'm not breaking my promise, I'm not breaking my promise, my promise is true, and my promise continues, but what I'm first going to do is, I'm going to clean you up. And in this time, man's mind got so far from God, that he could not believe this word of eternal life. And here Jesus comes and he says to them, you know, you just believe in one day, some of the Jews, you might become immortal. But I want to tell you, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the life and I'm the resurrection. And what he does is he says, and he shows man his promise. He took all of man's sin upon him. He took all of man's death upon him. This man that had it was there as me. He laid down his life. And the life he had there when he became sin was ours. And in the midst of that, he believed the Father and didn't try to preserve his life, but said, the Father has got immortal life. And as that spirit of life, that belief indwells my heart, my body shall be immortal even if I die. And now we have a message that says, even if you die, you can be raised. I mean, two, three weeks ago, I buried my father-in-law. And when we look at death, it's so final. When we look at sickness and all the equipment we have and all those kind of things, it's like, how can a man ever, ever, we can't even conquer cancer in the medical world. We can't even conquer AIDS. We cannot conquer sugar diabetes. H how are we ever, ever going to conquer death? But here we see our life has died and has been raised. It's not a question of shall we conquer it. It has been conquered. It has been conquered in Christ, and that is the promise. And now, what is still an enemy to us is what we experience today. And the Bible says, the last enemy that will be conquered in my life and in your life is death itself. So death is an enemy. Death is an enemy. And even if you've died, you'll be raised. If you're not dead in the return of Christ, you'll be changed and you'll become immortal because Christ, who is your life, will return. And as he returns, what happens? This life will manifest in us. Now, you might say, but why, why does Christ take so long to return? Very simple. As people hear the gospel and this message of the spirit of life, it enters people. And even if they die, it's okay. That spirit has entered them, they will be raised. Glory to God. Well, that's what I've got for you for today. If you have any other, um, if you have any questions about this message, if you have anything in your heart about this message, please feel free to uh, contact us at infodynamicministries.com. Write, uh, write in Facebook just a message there and uh, just send it. I would answer as good as what I can. I just know this has really given me life. And as we end this um, time of Easter and we're thinking of the death and the resurrection of Christ, let it spell life to us. You know what this has done for me? It's brought me to a place where I don't find my identity in what I wear, 
what I eat, what I drink, uh, um, do I have a lot of money, don't I have a lot of money, do I fly first class, business class, economy, it doesn't matter. Do I, uh, do my car have a scratch or not? We, I, I come to a place where, yes, we want, we don't, we don't say we are just like, uh, don't care, but it is, we are in a place where those things don't have a voice to us anymore. And the voice that there is to us is the resurrected Christ. Glory to God. Church, uh, last night as I was just going through this message and reading and studying, I, I just realized there is such a magnitude of things that we don't even have a clue about yet. But the Lord is sharing it with us. Yet everything that we don't know about, we already have. So we are not coming short in anything. Glory to God. Thank you so much. I want to pray and then I want to just... Uh, um, I want to say one or two things after the prayer. Father, thank you so much that people can watch today. And I thank you that every person that's watching today can say that he is a person created as the dwelling place of God and that he can have life and immortality. And we see your message upon the cross. Thank you, Lord, that we can be with you. Thank you, Lord, that you keep us safe. Thank you that you preserve us and that you even preserve us into the day of judgment. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and in the day of judgment, we will, the judgment, your judgment will be executed, which is the manifestation of the fullness of our life in this body. And that is our hope. And thank you, Lord, as the spirit of life enters us, we find the, 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 the effects of that life in us. And we are enjoying it. We are enjoying kindness. We're enjoying peace. We're enjoying uh, looking at the world system and politics and everything and it's not touching us. We are enjoying the, the peace that you are with us. We are enjoying the peace that you wherewith you comfort us. We're enjoying the beauty of each other uh, on the earth in the church. We're enjoying the pleasure of preaching. We're enjoying all those benefits or, you know, like, like I've said, Lord, side effects of this life or... <coughs> manifestations, first fruit of that life in us. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.